Well, amen. You may have a seat. It is my privilege to be able to present and preach God's Word this morning. Pastor Charlie, as many of you know, has been having some stomach issues, and it was his gallbladder that they removed this last Thursday. And so when when the surgery was scheduled, he sent me a text, or called me and said, I've got surgery on Thursday. He's like, I can probably preach on Sunday, but maybe you should go ahead and plan to do it. And so he is here, and he probably could have preached, but I'm always grateful for the opportunity to preach. I told one person, kind of glad he had his gallbladder out so that I could preach, but maybe that's a little too, a little too forward. So, uh, And it's, it's good. He's going to be preaching Cross Timbers Kids Camp here in a, a couple weeks, uh, really a week from tomorrow. And so that gives him a little bit of rest before he preaches uh, two times a day. And, uh, and so, yeah, so here we are today. We're going to continue in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 9. But as we begin today, I want to talk about clearer pictures, all right? And so when I say having a clearer picture, for many of us, we may think of different things. And so some of you, your mind went to photographs when I said picture. So you're thinking of, uh, you know, and over the, the last several years, we've had quite an advance in technology and pictures uh, whether that be with photographs. I mean, I used to, when you would take a photo, and this is just in my lifetime, I don't, we could even go back further, but in my lifetime, you had to take a photo, it was on film, you had to take the film, you had to go drop it in a little paper bag, and, a, and then maybe a week later, it might be ready for you, and then, so you would take a lot of pictures, and you might only like one of them. And now, what do we do? We use our phones, we, there are digital cameras, but most of us use our phones, we take thousands of pictures, we take selfies, and we flip through. If we don't like it, we delete it, and it's very instantaneous. Uh, we, have, we have an improved picture at movie theaters. And so, used to movie theaters were, were you know, it was a big screen, but the, the quality of the image wasn't that good. Now, if we went to the Warren, we'd have fully HD digital, uh, we'd have a fully digital picture. And then also, maybe the picture at your house on the television you have, has has improved. And so I want to do a little market research today. I'm not a TV salesman, but I do a little market research. And so if this was, if you see your first TV on the screen, go ahead and raise your hand. So let's put the first TV up there. Maybe. If that was your first TV, anybody that's your first TV? All right. How about this next one? All right. This is probably maybe late 80s, early 90s first TV. We still have some of these around this church. We got two right here. Uh, I was in a room this morning where our life room's room. We have one of those. So if you're ever looking for antique TVs, we got them. We still use them. They still work. Um, how about this one? Maybe this was your first TV. Uh, that's a radio. So some of you are like, dude, I remember when there were no TVs, when we just gathered around a radio, we might listen to uh, Tonto and, uh, was it Zorro? Zorro and Tonto? The Mast Ranger. Zorro, that's a different person. He wasn't with Tonto at all. And then he, he, here's our last one, all right? For many of you today, this, that is your TV, right? Like, you're, I'm reading a book right now, and the book, she doesn't own a TV. She just watches television. She, watch, she watches Hallmarks in this book, and she watches them on her phone. And so over the last several years, even in my lifetime of 38 years, we've seen quite an improvement, quite a change in uh, the TVs that we have. But in all of these pictures... What is the common denominator of the improvements? I mean, we could probably list a couple things, but I think the thing I want us to focus on today is that their picture 
has improved. With the television, if you went back to that first TV we had on there, you would have a picture that you would watch, but the quality wouldn't be that good. Just last week, I was looking up an old preacher that I used to watch in in high school and uh, put him on YouTube there, and it was from like the 90s, and it was boxy, and then the quality was really bad, and you just don't, you don't realize sometimes the clarity or the improved picture that we have. And really, having a clearer picture is normally a good thing. Now, if you're a criminal, a clearer picture probably isn't a good thing because we have these cameras now that have great videos, or maybe you run red lights and there's this clear picture that can take a, a picture of your tag and send you a ticket in the mail. Uh, maybe a clearer picture isn't a good thing if you're just having one of those bad hair days or you hate your clothes and you feel like you've gained a few extra pounds. Your mom's like, let's take a picture because it's Tuesday. And that's what my mom would do. Um, and so, but for the most part, a clearer picture helps us. It's an enhancement on our life with TV. It, it makes it better. It makes it more enjoyable. And so today, as we look at Luke 9, we're going we're gonna to be looking at the transfiguration And I believe from this passage, we're going to get a clearer picture of Jesus. And really, we've been working on that, haven't we? As as we've been working through the book of Luke, we've been getting week after week, we've been seeing Jesus in a clearer light. But today, I think we're even going to get a whole nother dimension and a whole nother level and a whole nother level of clarity in Jesus's picture on a picture of Jesus. And so if you will, let's turn to Luke chapter nine. We're going to read verses 28. To 36. And if you're there, let's go ahead and stand up and let's honor and read God's word. It begins and says, About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, praying the appearance of his faith, face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Uh, They kept silent. And at that time, no one told what they had seen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Today's text, I thank you for the entire scriptures that you've given us. And God, I believe ultimately the entire uh, scripture gives us a clearer picture of you and a clearer picture of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I pray today that as we study these verses that we've just read, God, that you would give us a clearer picture of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as I preach, you would get me out of the way. I pray that you would give me a clearer picture today. God, may I proclaim that picture to everyone that can hear today, Father. God, may we leave this place different and changed because your word is affecting us. Your Holy Spirit is changing us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So how many of you have read this text before? 
and you maybe never really understood it. Maybe you start, you just see the word transfiguration, and you like start getting 80s sci-fi vibes, and you're like, okay, I don't really like sci-fi, so I'm just going to kind of read fastly through these verses. I don't really know what's happening here. And if you have, if that is true of you, I will say, listen, you're not alone. Uh, I've read this story. I've heard sermons preached on this account. But I don't think it was until this week that I really understood the vast importance of what we read here with the transfiguration. So it's a very important text. And I think from it, we're going to see four different pictures that will help us see more, that will help us see Jesus more clearly. And so the first one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It says, it's Jesus invested in others and himself. This is the picture we see of Jesus. We see him investing in others and himself. And so in verse 28, it says, after eight days, or about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James, and went up, and he went up to the mountain to pray. So Jesus takes a smaller group of his disciples, he takes three from his group of 12, and he goes and gets away from the crowds, from the people to pray. Now this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this, it's not the last time, the first time we see Jesus taking these three men specifically is in Luke 8.51, but here what I think we're seeing, we're seeing Jesus participating in discipleship on all levels, or at least three different levels. And so first, we know that Jesus does discipleship in large groups. I think just recently, Pastor Charlie talked about how in this room, discipleship is happening. Sometimes we like to think discipleship and define it to other places, but in this room, discipleship is happening. We're hearing the word proclaimed. We're hearing, uh, we, we're encouraged by the singing and the worship of one another. And so discipleship is happening here. Jesus participated in large group discipleship. Uh, he taught large crowds. He did miracles within large groups. And so Jesus was not afraid. He was not a stranger to large group ministry. But Jesus also does discipleship on another level, and he does it in smaller groups. And so he has his group of 12 disciples that he's spending a lot of time with. Uh, and likewise, here at our church, we have life groups. Other churches may call them other things, uh, which are smaller group smaller groups of people in those groups. We hope that you would experience community. We hope that you would engage God's word together. And ultimately, we hope that you would care for one another. And so Jesus is modeling this for us, not just here, but in, in all throughout all of his earthly ministry. And then here, what we see is Jesus modeling what we could call personal discipleship, where Jesus is taking a small group of his small group. So he's taking just three men and he's taking them into a very intimate parts of his life and he's letting them see just kind of an open into the into his life and see how he is following after the Lord and how he is um, doing his life. And so in this, we see life on life. We see high accountability. Now, at our church, we may not necessarily have any program, which is OK, that does something like this. It's very it can be very organic. I know we have people that are meeting with people in groups of one or two and three, and they're not reporting to us, but they're doing discipleship. Just a few months ago, we had our Embracing Generations night, and we highlighted some intergenerational discipleship from Wartha Nell Downing. And here's the thing, Wartha never really was trying to disciple those ladies that she has had an effect on, but it just happened naturally from the outflow of her life. And so there may be a day where in the life of our church, we have some sort of encouragement to be in smaller groups, but you can do that right now. And hopefully some of you are. And so we see that Jesus is participating on 
three different levels of, of discipleship. But we also see that Jesus wasn't just concerned about him discipling others. He wasn't just concerned about him pouring into others. Jesus was also concerned about his own soul and tending to that. And so that, that's why we see him taking time to, uh, to get away. And there's many instances in Scripture where Jesus removes himself from crowds and removes himself so that he can um, be able to just be re-energized and be refreshed and just take some time to be with the Father. Now, this is important for us to spend time on verse 28 because really, verse 28 is really a small part of what's happening in the transfiguration. But it's important for us to spend time in it, one, because it's in the Bible. If we're going to walk expositionally through the Bible, we can't skip over verses. We need to talk about them. Secondly, because being a disciple maker is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus Christ. You don't become a Christian and not get to be a disciple maker. We are called to be investing in others. And Jesus modeled this for us. And so anytime we see this, we should, we should highlight these texts so that we can continue to encourage each other to be disciple makers, people who are investing in the life of others. But lastly, I think this is important for us to focus on just briefly as we begin, because it really helps us counteract the pull of our current culture. And what, what do we know about our current culture? Celebrity is king, right? Instagram, there are people that are on Instagram that are famous and influencers for no discernible good reason. But yet they're able to be influencers and make money. And so we put so much stock and value in people that are, that are known and celebrities. And Jesus could have been that guy. If Instagram was around, Jesus could have had millions of followers. He could draw crowds. But yet Jesus didn't solely focus on crowds. And honestly, he probably spent the least of his time with crowds. Jesus, who was able to captivate large crowds, spent a lot of time investing in 12 and then investing in three. And so for our culture where this everybody wants to be somebody and everybody wants to be known, you know, maybe God has gifted you to be an upfront person, and that's okay. We need people that are able to lead others. But if that's your gift, acknowledge first that it's from the Lord, that's humility. And then secondly, commit to live a balanced life where you're not just doing things in front of people, but you're living out your life with smaller groups of people, and then you're also focusing on your own discipleship and your own growth. Maybe you're like most people and you're never going to be that upfront person. You're like, man, I'm never going to do anything for God's kingdom because I can't get up in front of people. No one will let me up there. I'm too weird. I say strange things. Listen, if God has gifted you to work behind the scenes or to work with smaller groups of people, praise him for that. We need everyday people who are committed to making disciples wherever they are at. And so if that's you, and I think that's a lot of us, just be committed to the Lord and continue to be faithful and know that no matter how big of difference it seems like you're making, if you're being faithful to the Lord, you are making a difference. Even if you're just investing in one or two people the Lord has brought in your way, you're making a difference in God's kingdom. It's not about how much you're doing, but it's about how committed you are to doing what the Lord has called you to do. So that's a picture we see of Jesus, that he, he invested in others and he, 
and he invested in himself, and we should strive to be like that. Second picture we see is that Jesus is more than just a human. So if we looked at verse 29 to 31, it's time for the sci-fi to kick in. If I could speak so flippantly about what's happening here, if you'll bear with me. Jesus' face, his face changes. His clothes become dazzling white. This is pretty extraordinary because, I mean, like today, you know, you've seen those little things that kids have where it's like, if it has like sequins on it and it's like this way, and then like you move your hand and then like it changes. Anybody ever seen those little like sequin things like kids have them? I don't have kids, but I have nephews and nieces and like they're kind of fun because it's like a secret little. But anyways, shiny clothes are not abnormal for us, right? But I'm thinking and I'm quite sure that in the day of Jesus, we didn't have a lot of dazzling clothes. We weren't wearing sequins and things of that nature. So this is quite the feat that uh, his clothes become dazzling white and then two men just suddenly appear. Two men, Moses and Elijah, just show up. And so something supernatural is happening here. In my life group this morning, the lesson was on miracles. And we defined miracles as something um, that basically is not natural that's happening, all right? And we're seeing a miracle here. We're seeing something supernatural happening here. And really, this is an important text because for many of us, and for most people in Jesus' day and even today's uh, time and culture, it's easy to, uh, to believe and understand that Jesus was a person. It's easy to accept his humanity because Jesus looked like a human, he talked like a human, he walked like a human, he had the appearance of humanity. But for those of us that are alive today, it's easy. Uh, but there's other things that maybe are difficult. And I think understanding his divinity has been a little more difficult for the people when this was actually happening, when Jesus was walking on the earth. But even today, more people are going to struggle with his divinity. What if some people say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a good man. But he was more than just a man. And we're going to see that here. And so I think one of the things I want us to look at is the importance of these two men that showed up, Moses and Elijah. Why, why is it important? Why, why these two guys, Moses and Elijah, that showed up? So uh, one of the things that's important, it's a miracle, all right? These two men had been considered dead and gone. They had not been living among people for many years, hundreds of years, and here they are all of a sudden back with Jesus. So it's a miracle, all right? So it's supernatural. So that's important with their appearance. Also, it's important what they represent. So Moses was the one that received the law from God, and he delivered that to God's people. It's often referred to the law of Moses. Uh, and then Elijah was a prophet, and he was most likely one of the, uh, the most well-known or highly esteemed prophets. And so these men represent the law and the prophets. And so in this day, in this Jewish culture, the law and the prophets would have been very important things to, to, uh, to these people. And so for Jesus to now be in this supernatural experience with Moses, who's, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, really speaks a lot of volume to people of this day who are hearing this, hearing this story and reading about this story. And this third thing is I think this is important because it shuts down 
misconceptions about who Jesus is. Uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story of the transfiguration is shared. It's not, it's not shared uh, like this in the book of John. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are a lot of different things that, you know, those books don't follow exactly the same order in many places. But in this instance, they do. In each of the synoptic gospels, they begin with Peter's confession of Christ, and it goes through some other stories and some other happenings, and then it, be, then it ends with this transfiguration. And so if you're familiar with Peter's confession of Christ, Jesus begins and he first says, okay, to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do the crowd say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the prophets of old. And then Jesus looks and says, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter confesses Christ to be the Lord. But we see in there that there's this idea and especially Elijah, because we know and there's biblical record that Elijah never died. And so we see this idea that many people were thinking and waiting for Elijah to come back. And so there were many people thought that Jesus was Elijah or could have been Moses. And so for these two men to show up in this time where Jesus is physically present, Moses is physically present and Elijah is physically present. And then that's pretty clear to know that okay, Jesus isn't Moses and Jesus isn't Elijah. He is his own self. And so there are three important reasons why those, are, those men showed up and why it matters. And then also I think the conversation that they have, it points to Jesus being more than a human. He talks about his, uh, what does it say there in verse uh, 31? It says, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which, was, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. What do we know about as readers, people that are reading this text now after the fact, what do we know about Jesus' departure in Jerusalem? It's his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's a supernatural thing that happened. That Jesus went to the cross sinless. And he died for our sins. He took those upon himself. He went into the grave and was there for three days. And then he rose Again, victorious. Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus is the Son of God. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So here we go. Next, the third picture we see is Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. Again, if I was alive and went and said that in the day of Jesus, somebody would have been wanting to fight me. Somebody would have wanted, been picking up a stone and be like, how dare you say that Jesus is greater? How dare you say that anybody, but especially Jesus, is greater than Moses or Elijah? And I think that's hard for us to understand because we're living today in year 2022 and we have uh, this whole narrative of Scripture and we believe, most of us in this room believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. And so it's when I say in this room that Jesus is greater than Moses, like, yeah, he sure is. But for the people living in this day, that would have been extremely difficult for them to understand. And so let's unpack this. First, he's greater than Moses, Moses and Elijah because he is more than just a human, all right? He is, he is God in the flesh. And so Moses and Elijah are merely human men. Jesus is greater because he possesses real power. 
Moses and Elijah, they did a lot of miraculous things for the Lord, didn't they? If we went back and studied just Moses uh, being God's chosen vessel to deliver the Israelites out of slavery, um, we would see many great miracles that happened. But all of those miracles, while they might have been performed by Moses, they were powered by God. Same thing with Elijah. Many great things he did, but it was God that was empowering Elijah to do the many things that he did. But Jesus, being God, he has his own power. He has his own authority. And he's able to do what he wants to do in his own ability. Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. He's also greater because he has his own glory. So in this encounter here, uh, it says back in verse uh, 29, as he, was, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And so we're not specifically sure what his face changed, but it's, we, can, we could probably understand that maybe his face was kind of shining. And we can juxtapose this with Moses when he experienced the Lord's, when he experienced God's glory uh, on the mountain. And what happened? His face also shone, didn't it? It shined. But again, Moses' face shined because of something on the outside. But Jesus' face is shining because in some supernatural, miraculous thing, His humanity, which was veiling His glory, is lessened or, or something, and His glory that is inside of Him is shining through His face. And so Jesus' glory is from within. He possesses His own glory. And Moses, His face was shining because the glory of the Lord. And so Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. Peter, we see, has a pretty ill-received idea. Verse 32, it says, Peter and those with him were in, a, were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who were standing with him, you notice there it says his glory, so he's referring to Jesus' glory, and then there's two men that are standing with him. It's not their glory, it's Jesus' glory. And then verse 33, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, we're going to notice here that no one takes uh, Peter up on this idea. No one's like, great idea, Peter. And Luke even adds the, the commentary here. He says, not knowing what he was saying. Uh, Peter is pretty known for thinking, or excuse me, speaking and acting before he thinks. And I think this is one of those encounters. I believe it is uh, in, I think it's in, I think it's in Matthew's account, probably Mark's account. They say it a little bit differently. It says, and not, know, and not knowing what to say. Basically, he was at a loss for words. And so he was like, well, let's build tents. <laughs> let's build these three structures for these three men. But this idea was ill-received. And I think we can see that it was ill-received because no one jumped to do it. Uh, they're kind of ignoring his suggestion. And I think that the reason why it was ignored the most likely reason that it was ignored was because building three tents would further equate that those three men were on the same level. And Jesus is not on the same level of Moses and Elijah. Jesus is greater. Again, this is not a big deal for modern day believers, but for Jewish people, 
It was. And this matter, this matters because it further drives home for us that Jesus is more than just a man. He's not some man that God used on this earth to do great things. Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah because Jesus is deity. He is divine. He is God in the flesh. Yesterday, Andy and I decided to be adults for a Saturday and we decided to clean our house. And so, you know, we have pretty fair rules at our house and I was cleaning the shower and she was cleaning the sinks. Later in the day, she was like, you know, you amaze me. And I'm like, oh, I do? Like, yeah, I am pretty amazing. Um, She was like, it amazes me that you were able to get the sink so dirty. And I'm like... Well, at least I'm good at something. Uh, and it's really true. Like if you came into our house without, without it being clean, which is a faux pas I've learned, you don't, man, you don't invite people to your house over if it's dirty. And so, but if, if you did and you somehow made it into our master uh, bathroom and you looked at Andy's sink and you looked at my sink, you would like, does somebody use this sink over here? And you're like, what wild animal is using this sink over here? I mean, there's water like splashed all over the mirror. And yesterday, I think Andy's words are like, you just really haven't grown up in this area. And I'm like, eh. I grew up with four brothers and it was just kind of the wild, wild west at our house when it came to things like this. So yesterday, after hearing this, I'm brushing my teeth. The, the window or the mirror is all clean. Uh, the sink is all clean. So I'm being very careful. I'm brushing my teeth and, you know, and then I'm like, okay, maybe I... Maybe I'll do something wrong here. So like I turn the water on and then I, I go to spit the toothpaste into the water. Like I lean over real close and I'm like, okay, I did good there. That's gone. And I look up and there's water on the mirror already. And I'm like, how did I already get water on this mirror? And what I learned in that instant is like when it comes to sinks in our house and keeping things clean, there's not a comparison between me and Andy, all right? There's, it's not even a close race of who is better. And likewise, with Moses and Elijah compared to Jesus, it's not even a race. There's no comparison. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the Lord. And if you would, let's turn to first, or let's turn to John, just a few pages over in your Bible, to John chapter 1. You might keep your finger there because we're going to come back to here in just a little bit too. But in verse 19, this is John the Baptist. This is his testimony. He said, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? So John was the forerunner for Christ. We're going to see here. And verse 20, he didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. The Jewish people were looking for the Messiah. So there was often people that were coming and people were like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? But John was clear to say, I am not the Messiah. Verse 21, what then they asked him, are you Elijah? See, we see that question again. Are are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Then are you the prophet? No, he answered. 22, who are you then? They asked, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? Verse 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? Like, whose authority are you doing this? In verse 26, he said, I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone someone stands among you, but you do not know him. 
He is one coming after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John the Baptist is the forerunner for Christ. He's saying, prepare the way. And people are like, are you the Messiah? And what does he say? It's not even close. I am not even worthy to untie the sandal or the strap on his sandal. Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah because Jesus is more than just a man. He is God in the flesh. And we're going to see that affirmed by God. And so here's our fourth and final picture. Jesus is affirmed by God. If we're going to look in verse 34. So Peter's finishing his bad suggestion. No one's picking up, picking, picking up on what he's uh, putting down. And so then more miracles happen. It says uh, there's a cloud that appears. It overshadows them. Then the voice of the Lord comes from this cloud. And so here we're getting a picture of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now we just sang a wonderful song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And that song really puts the Trinity on display, but also in this passage we're seeing that. And we know, for those of us that are in the faith, we know and understand that God, who is one, we have one God, but he's chosen to reveal himself in three distinct persons. Now, there aren't specific verses that say, this is the Trinity, understand it. But there are plenty of places throughout Scripture that give us clear pictures and clear teaching on the idea that we have a triune God who is one, but who um, has chosen to reveal himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so here we see this triune God affirm Jesus as God. Now the cloud is representative of God the Spirit. God the Father, he speaks and he says something that he's already said this before, similar when Jesus was baptized earlier in Luke, earlier in, in the narrative, uh, as Jesus' ministry was beginning, Jesus was baptized. And as he came out of the water, God spoke in the first person and said, this, or he said, this, or you are my son with you, I'm well pleased. But here, I think in that first time, God is speaking directly to Jesus, but in it's for our benefit, but here even more so for our benefit, God speaks in the second person and says, this is my son, the chosen one. God affirms Jesus as God, and then Jesus does not uh, deny what God is saying, does he? So we see the Trinity on display, we see the Spirit uh, evidence in the uh, in the cloud, we we hear God the Father speaking, and then Jesus the Son, who is affirmed by the voice of the Father, does not deny, does not object to what God says. Now, this is a again, I said this at the beginning. This is a seemingly strange encounter, but I really do believe we get a clearer picture of Jesus. We see our God, who was willing to humble Himself. And to come to this earth and put on humanity and to become 100% man, 100% Jesus. We see him willing to minister. We see him willing to, to spend time with large groups and small groups and, and all types of things. And so we see his humanity. We see his humility. But then through this transfiguration, we see his divinity. We see his deity. We see that Jesus, both fully human and fully divine, 
made the way for us, for you and for me, to be made right with God. And if you still have John chapter 1, let's go back there. Verse 14 says, well, in verse 1, I might read all these verses, but this is John's prologue. His gospel is written much differently than the other three synoptic gospels. And so he kind of begins with this prologue, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, which is referring to Jesus. And it says, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we see Jesus being affirmed as, as God. We skip down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. Now, I know John probably observed Jesus' glory in many different ways, many different places, many different times. But John was one of the three at this transfiguration. So could it be that when he says we observed his glory, he's speaking specifically about this encounter where Jesus' inner dwelling glory was revealed through his face? We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the, the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Verse 16, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus coming to this earth made it possible for you and for me to be, have a relationship with God restored. So as we kind of prepare for a time of response, I want to visit three words that I've left out. And some of you that are following, like, why isn't he saying these three words? Like, those are pretty big words. Like, it's really bad. He's skipping these, and you've been really freaking out. But don't worry. Here they are. Three words spoken in verse 30, 35. God tells us, he affirms that Jesus is God. And what does he say? Listen to him. I think many of us in this room were already convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. And it's good to have those reminders. It's good to have that uh, just to every, every time we can to be reminded of who Jesus is. Because I think sometimes we can kind of get a little lost in the weeds. But I think for most of us in this room, the most important message for us today from this text is those three words, listen to him. I think they're really important because we are living in an age of skepticism. I mean, I'm a pretty positive person. I believe a lot of things, but if you ask my wife, and she would tell you, because she's a pretty honest lady, as you can tell from the sink story, there are many times where I learn something and I don't believe it till I can go look it up on the internet that it's true. We didn't used to do that. We didn't used to have that ability. We used to have that thing. We just believed people. 
And so I think sometimes this, the internet of this instant knowledge of knowing things has led us to this idea like, okay, I don't know if it's true. I have to go find this, this source, which I don't know why I think the internet and Google is the source because, hello, but that's what I do. I remember a time when my wife and I were, uh, we were about to get married. And so we were doing the things that newlywed or pre-married people do, engaged people. I guess that's the normal way to say that is we were going looking for furniture. And so Andy's mom came with us. She's not here today, so I can tell the story. And so, you know, we're like, we're not at Mathis Brothers. We're like at like cheap Mathis Brothers. I think, I don't think that's what it was called, but like we didn't have a lot of money. And so we were just getting some furniture and we're there and he's a nice salesman. And he's like, we kind of found this furniture. Then he was started, he was like, all right, you know what you need? You need the furniture protection plan. So I'm like, okay, tell me about it. He's like, well, for only $200, anything happens to this couch, we fix it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. He's like, yeah, you sit and he said, you sit on the couch, you have a pin in your pocket, that pin comes out, that pin pokes a hole in the couch, we fix for free, which it's not for free because I already paid $200, but I won't hold them on that. I was young and dumb at the time. And so I'm like, that sounds awesome. I'm going to get this. My mother-in-law sitting back there and she's like, you're telling me they buy this protection plan. They poke a hole in the couch. You're going to fix it for free. He's like, yes, ma'am. She's like, I'm not buying it. Now we did go against her and we bought the furniture protection plan. We never used it. And then we bought it another time. They're like, oh, sorry, you have to do that. So, so, so. And then you can't, we didn't use it then either. But we live in an age of skepticism where either we have, we think we have to like, know, okay, like this is for sure true. I have to go find scientific, scientific or empirical evidence. Or, you know, I think we live in this age where we just sometimes, because people have wronged us and listen, people will let you down. People disappoint you, and because people do that to us, then we often have this idea like, that seems too good to be true. And because it seems too good to be true, I'm not going to believe it. And so living in this age of skepticism, you may be here today and you may not be a follower of Jesus, and you may be saying, okay, this seems good and fine, but it seems too good to be true. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, okay, I want to do, I want to do it. I want to listen to Jesus. I want to listen to what he says. And then you get in the word and you're like, but is that, is that what it really says? And there are some things that are harder to decipher in the scripture, but a lot of what this book says is quite clear and quite simple, I think often we want to overcomplicate it so as that we don't have to actually live it out. But maybe we remember the words today. Listen to him. And there's many words of Jesus I could share today. I could share about when Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I think where I want us to end today, and this is the text Charlie preached last week, but I think it applies to everybody in the room, and especially when it comes to this idea of listening to Jesus. So verse 23 of Luke says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. 
For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. However you need to respond today, however you need to act so that you can truly listen to the Lord, listen to Jesus. We're going to have some leaders up at the front. If you want to come forward for prayer, or just maybe you want to come and just kneel at the altar and just repent for not listening to Jesus, to making things over uh, too complicated. Maybe you want to have a little longer conversation. You can always go to our connection point with some of our ministers and staff that will be there to share with you and just have a conversation with you. And maybe you're like, maybe, I, maybe later this week. You can go to firstmore.com, just fill out the connect card, or there's a couple boxes you can check about what you want to discuss with us. We would love to follow up with you as soon as we can this week to talk with you about whatever the Lord is doing. But most importantly, my, my hope and prayers that all of us would be people that listen to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, God, for the times when I've overcomplicated things, for the times when I've blatantly chosen not to listen to you, God, I repent. And God, I pray that would be the heart of every believer in this room. God, I pray for people right now that specifically, God, you've brought specific things to their mind through your Holy Spirit. God, that they are not listening to you on and they need to repent of specifically. I pray that you would give them the courage to do that, whether they, whether they want to come right now as I'm speaking and just come kneel at your altar just as a, an act of surrender. Maybe they're just going to turn in their pew right where they're at and do that. God, I, I pray for believers in this room who don't know what it means to listen to you, God. We, we haven't taught them. I pray that they would have a desire for you and for your word. God, you've given us such a great resource to hear from Jesus, and it's this holy book, this Bible that you've given us. God, lastly, God, for the people in the room that are skeptical about you, God, they think that you're too good to be true. Or how could a loving God maybe have let them have such disappointment in life? God, for the, for the true skeptic in this room who doesn't trust in you, I pray that you would just help them to see that Jesus can be listened to. He can be trusted. Father, have your way in this place. Help us all to look to Jesus.